Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Blueberry, SoundCloud, Deezer, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Podbay, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and at www.bhha.com. You can also hear episodes of the podcast each Saturday at 11 a.m. on WJFN 100.5 FM in the Richmond area. Please listen and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Your questions, comments, or feedback can be sent to pcfpodcasts at bhha.com. That's pcfpodcasts at bhha.com. Today, we're pleased to be joined by Amy Black, an award-winning Richmond-based tattoo artist and businesswoman whose clients include post-mastectomy breast cancer patients looking for a permanent anatomical tattoo to help them with psychological healing. In a moment, we'll talk with Amy about her work and what led her to this point. But first, welcome to the program, Amy. Hi, thank you. Thanks again for being with us today. As I understand it, you knew art was your life calling from an early age, and you've been tattooing professionally for two decades. For the past 10 years, your work has included clients who are breast cancer survivors looking for a permanent body art after breast removal or reconstructive surgery. This can involve tattoos covering scars for patients with double mastectomy or using tattooing to visually recreate a nipple on a reconstructed breast. What's the backstory on how you got involved in working with these clients? Yes, so um, I had been tattooing for 10 years at the point where a local breast cancer survivor was researching tattoo shops in the Richmond area, looking to see if she could find a female tattoo artist that would be able to tattoo one of her breasts to create a 3D illusion of a raised natural nipple on the reconstructed breast for her post-mastectomy. She had one removed, so we needed to match the reconstructed breast to the natural one. And so she got referred to me fairly quickly. There wasn't a lot of female artists tattooing back then. And so once we made contact, I was very excited and happy to help her out. Um, Not only did I already have 10 years of tattoo experience under my belt, but I also had an interest in anatomy and fine arts from my art college years, many years previous to that. So the chance to be able to use all of those skills together. So one question someone listening to this might have is how does tattooing fit into the process of breast cancer treatment, such as when would someone come to you for help? And also beyond the visual element of a tattoo, what does your work mean to people in terms of their own peace of mind? The great thing about the tattoo part is that Patients can reach out to me at any point in time, whether they're diagnosed or not even, you know, whether they're not just thinking about um, whether or not they should consider this as an option um, because, you know, how they're doing the genetic testing now. So some people just start researching before they even go in and check that out all the way to the, you know, I've had women contact me the day of their diagnosis and I've even had people contact me 10 years after their cancer treatment had been finished. So there's really no timeline there. And that's, I think, what opens up that answer. And what's great is that, you know, it's something that can be looked at as a positive thing for the patient to be able to uh, research for themselves uh, while they're dealing with cancer diagnosis and treatment options. So in terms of peace of mind, a lot of the main feedback I hear back from clients is the ability to no longer have to look down at the surgical areas and be reminded every day of what they went through. Because, it, you know, a lot of times they're missing an entire nipple or both nipples in the area. And that can be accompanied with the 
leftover surgical incision scars from whichever procedure they may have gotten. So to be able to create something else there, whether it's a natural nipple or, you know, nowadays a lot of people turn to decorative artwork, it gives them something else of their choosing to be able to uplift and sometimes, believe it or not, even forget about the cancer that they went through. And it, it might sound strange to say that, that part that they like to forget, but it is nice. It, it helps bring them back to a sense of normalcy to their day-to-day. So at this point, how many breast cancer patients have you worked with and how do they connect with you? Is it through referrals from medical practices or do they call the shop? Sure, yeah. So I see on average right now, and it's almost always been this number and it has increased every year. On average, I see about six women a month and I do tattoo male cancer survivors as well. I know it's a low percentage of men who get breast cancer, but they are out there. So I just like to add that in. So I think that averages out to six times 12, you know, what is that? A little over, oh, is that close to 100 a year-ish? Depending? Yeah, it's a little, it's in the 70s, right? Six times 12. Ish, yeah. Yeah, 72. So, yeah, so, you know, somewhere around that number. So you times that by 10 years. Of course, it varies. Some months there's more patients, some months there's less. The way they contact me nowadays, I use my email address as the main form of contact. See that just because it helps me. Typically, I have to keep a lot of notes, and there's a lot of images that are shared between me and the client, so it's much easier to handle scheduling and questions all through the email instead of phone. I have a lot of nurse navigators and plastic surgeons and oncologists and radiologists who refer to me. And then the other way people find out about me, word of mouth through the media that has been done over the years and the breast cancer survivor groups also know about the work that I'm doing. So, yeah, those are the main points of contact. Okay, and now let's touch on the Pink Ink Fund, which you established to help patients who may need financial assistance for mastectomy tattooing costs. What inspired it and how can people learn more or contribute if they are so inclined? What inspired it was when I started doing the tattooing, I had very little knowledge of how the insurance companies worked, but I was fairly certain that there would probably be obstacles for patients who would probably want actually need financial aid if they went out of network to an artist like myself. And I just didn't want anyone to be blocked from getting critical piece of artwork, tattoo art that would really help them as they were healing from their cancer diagnosis and treatment just because of money, you know, being an obstacle. So that was the main inspiration. The charity worked with handing out grants to qualifying applicants, a one-time grant, and then the qualifying applicant can use that towards whatever part of their mastectomy tattoo process they need. If they need to pay the tattoo artist of their choice, that's great, or if it helps with travel, because a lot of times there aren't a lot of artists in the country or the world doing this still, so travel fees can sometimes be an issue for people. So it's just to fill the gap there if, if it can help. And the charity does not funnel all of the, it doesn't benefit only my clients. We are not necessarily attached to one specific tattoo artist or refer to tattoo artists. It's really just there specifically to go straight to the person in need for them to use. 
Um, as far as anyone who'd like to donate the website, um, there is donation buttons on there. We do have people mail donations in to the mailing address, and I uh, do have people who donate in person. Actually, a, a lot of my clients will donate in person, <laughs> which is very generous and kind of them. So those are some of the ways that people can donate. We are about to change the application process over to a referral system from uh, internally from the hospitals, nurse navigators, and oncologists to know which patients are in the most financial need. And that's, a, that's an update that we're about to do in the charity to help get the funds to where they're needed the fastest. Thank you, Amy, so much for spending a few minutes to chat with us about your work today. Before you go, we have two final questions to give people a bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work you do. The first question is, what is the best piece of advice you've been given and why is it important in your life? Okay, yeah, the best piece of advice I've ever been given was really along the lines of never give up. That has proven to me time and time again that if you just hang in there, even if you hit a roadblock, and be open to adapt your approach to whatever you might be dealing with, and to always be open to have your level of expectations changed as well, then you're always going to find success somewhere. And that's really gotten me to a point that I'm really grateful to be at in my life. And to close, the question we ask all our guests on VHJ's Patients Come First podcast is one inspired by a popular BBC program. The question is, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself occupied? We'll spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what one book, album, and movie would you take as part of your personal survival kit? Oh, that's a good one. You know, I'm Buddhist, so I would definitely probably take one of my many Buddhist texts. I don't really have a specific one that I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> I have a lot, so they're, and they're all really, really good. And there's one specific Buddhist teacher, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, uh, refers to it a lot, but he's, it's not very well known, but it's just a um, small book full of little tidbits of wisdom that to help you constantly evolve emotionally and mentally, spiritually as a person. So I think that that would probably be a pretty good one to take. Album-wise, that's a really great question. My music tastes are so all over the board, but I would probably lean towards taking something either classical, believe it or not. Okay, okay, no, all right, I understand. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I can almost always depend on something by Mozart. <laughs> as something that is could be inspiring and or calming um, or something that would just get you through. And or if you really want to go the other way with it, I, there's a couple albums by Radiohead. All right, all right. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, yeah that okay. Be, you know, <laughs> yeah. they have a variety. Sure. 
And uh, as far as movies go, I mean, it might be repetitive, but I've found so much great insight from Becoming Buddhist is there's a couple of movies out that are documentaries on His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and they're all great. I still watch them again and again from time to time because it, it really, it's like an onion, you know, there's yeah. just so many layers to them. I think the one that I've watched the most, there's a current one out called The Dalai Lama, The Scientist. It just came out, I think, in 2019. And I mean, it's just a wonderful documentary talking about how much of a scientist he is in nature and how he loves to have an open dialogue with um, many other scientists of all kinds of human sciences and astronomy and, and all the other things in the world and how they uh, meet and collaborate as they work towards trying to figure out ways to better humanity. So that, that would probably be my one. <laughs> all right. Well, it sounds good. It sounds like a very inspiring survival kit to take with you. And that brings us to the conclusion of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are available. And thanks again to our guest, Amy Black. Thank you. Thank you.